G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. My name is Sean Coates, thank you so much for listening, and I am so sorry that I have had no time to get an episode up over the last seven weeks of my weekly podcast. There is no consistency in this thing, but uni has been hectic, I've had a lot of assignments due, but that has not stopped me from seeing a whole bunch of movies which I am going to be talking about today. And I am coming to you today, not from my hotbox shed back home in Shepparton, not from my uni apartment, but at one of the lovely recording studios in the Applied Sciences building at Swinburne University's Hawthorne campus. So to make up for how slack I've been over the past um, nearly two months, there will be two episodes out this week. There'll be this one, and I'm also heading home this week, so we'll be getting another episode with Eric Fisher that will be out later this week. But for now, I'll be doing a couple of, just to catch up, I'm going to do a few reviews of five movies that I saw recently. So I'm going to be talking about life, uh, the movie, not what everybody is living, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Power Rangers, uh, Lego Batman, and Ghost in the Shell. So to start off this episode, let's talk about life. So life is a crappy alien ripoff, I mean a science fiction horror film that stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, and Ryan Reynolds. They play astronauts on the International Space Station who receive this soil sample from, from the Mars rover that may contain the first signs of life outside of Earth. They play around with it and they, they find this bacteria which starts to kind of rapidly grow into like this organism which starts to kill everybody and they've got to kill this thing before this it can go to Earth and start to kill all humans. So is there any anything actually really good about this movie? Well, even though this whole thing is a big rip-off of Alien and it does borrow heavily from other recent sci-fi and sci-fi horror kind of suspense movies like Gravity and Sunshine... It is really, really intense in a lot of scenes. And those scenes were really, really cool to watch and they were very suspenseful. Um, and a lot of the, the, the opening of this film is kind of a long kind of tracking shot, which, I mean, you can see that you, you can t- pinpoint it, you can pinpoint moments where they've put your edits in, but it looks really, really cool and it's a real, I thought it was really awesome. But apart from that, yeah, this movie's kind of terrible. First of all, there are no characters in this movie. These actors, although they're great, great actors, they've just got nothing to work with here. All they've basically get given and all we're told as the audience is like, oh, he's a biologist. He's a mechanic. He's been up here for nearly a year and is about to break the record. We get nothing else from that. They're all just expendable, bloody Star Trek red shirts that are just there to be killed by this alien. And they serve no purpose to the actual story even though they're meant to be the main characters, and towards the th- and end of the third act, they try to develop characters. I'm like, what? Well, too fucking late for that. You had your chance. You, you, no, I don't give a shit now. I want you to die. Piss off. Also, let's talk about this alien. This alien named Calvin. They call the Martian Calvin because they, when they find out that, when they basically announce that they, they have found life on Mars, a little girl for one, like won a competition or something, and she said, oh, can you name the, uh, the alien after our ele- uh, elementary school? Okay, yeah, cute, I understand. But why this thing that's meant to be so menacing, this thing that's going around killing everyone on board and wants to go down to Earth and kill everybody there is named Calvin? Do you not see how dumb that sounds? Also, speaking of dumb, the way this thing is designed, like, the design of this little alien, it looks terrible. And the CGI as well on the alien, and also, also, there's just CGI blood everywhere. It just looks crap. I mean, zero gravity is very hard to do in film. I understand that. It costs a lot of money to do, and it is very difficult to pull off. 
but like oh the the CGI CGI blood just looks terrible. Okay, just don't do it. I mean, I can understand like getting blood to float around, but there are even parts where when one of the characters dies and there's just blood like floating everywhere through zero G, they cut back to it and it's all the walls are complete. There was a massive blood stain all over the spaceship walls and blood just floating around everywhere. And you cut to the you cut back to him and it's all completely clean. I'm like, okay, geez, where did all that go? And early on in the movie, they established that this thing is like no other other organism ever because it is like both simultaneously both a nerve cell like and a muscle cell. All of their cells are nerve and muscle cells. So there's this completely thing that like we can see every cell like has its own eye or something like that. Like it can see through its thing. Okay, so towards the end when it keeps evolving, why does it have a face? Is that just so just so it makes it look extra terrifying? I mean, ugh. Fucking hell, there's no consistency in this movie. I really, like, I didn't... It's one of those movies where it's okay when you watch it, like, while you're watching it and you're having kind... You have, you're having a good time watching it. But as, as soon as you walk out and you start to think about this movie and pick it apart, you realise how bad it actually is. Also, this movie has a really, really, really dumb twist ending. It's com- it's a complete bait and switch because something they show establishes that that wasn't possible. They made a cut to okay, hold on. I'm just gonna spoil this because spoiler warning for life. Skip ahead. Hit the hit the pro- forward fifteen button a couple of times if you don't want to hear spoilers for life. Okay, here I go. So Rebecca Ferguson and Jake Gyllenhaal can't remember their names because they did had no fucking characters and there was no. I can't even remember hearing their names or even seeing them in their uniforms or anything. So they're the last two left. And one of them, it says, I'll sacrifice, like, we, we can lure them into the escape pods. And, like, you, he said, Jack Gyllenhaal says to Rebecca Ferguson, you head back down to Earth while I, I get, I lure it into my escape pod and then I just blast myself into outer space. So they do that and you can see, you can see that all happen and all go down. But then as soon as uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's about to be, um, like, attacked by this thing, it clearly shows a pod being spiraled out into deep space. And then when they show uh, the pod landing, you know, you say, uh-oh, it was Jake Gyllenhaal that landed, not Rebecca Ferguson. That makes no sense. Because if you edit from inside there, if inside J- Jake Gyllenhaal's pod, from where he was about to get attacked by this thing, and you cut to a pod that's just spiraling out into the out into deep space, you would assume that that would be his pod. Nope. Jake Gyllenhaal lands down on Earth, and these bloody Chinese fishermen or Japanese fishermen, they, they go over to help him, and then Jake Gyllenhaal saying, no, 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 don't open it, don't open it, and you see Rebecca Ferguson screaming as her pod's flying out into space, and then these fishermen open it and basically doom humanity, and that's the end credits. And then, for no random, for some random reason, Spirit in the Sky starts playing in the end credits, which doesn't at all match with what the bloody last hour, like, hour and a half of film that we've just seen does not match at all. It was so infuriating to me. So up until now, I thought um, that 2017 was a pretty good, like, pretty good year for movies so far, but I've found the first dud of 2017, and that's life. Please, it's not a good movie. It's not worth your time. Like, apart from a few really intense moments that were genuinely, genuinely suspenseful, and that really awesome tracking shot at the start, just rewatch. My, my, my advice, just rewatch Alien, or Sunshine, or Gravity. Just don't say life. Um, this is about a th- like. If I was to give this movie a grade, it would be about a three or a four out of ten. Not worth seeing. Okay, moving on from life and on to Disney's live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. 
So I'm not going to bother giving you the plot synopsis of this because you know you know this. It was a it's a classical French fairy tale, and it's also a classic 1990s Disney film that I have not seen in ages. So if you're looking for comparisons between the old and the new, don't look here because I haven't seen it since I was like six or seven. Okay, so I'm go- and which is actually kind of good for me because I'm going to grade this movie on its own merits and as a standalone movie. So what's good about the new Beauty and the Beast? Well, as it's a period piece, like uh, like most period pieces, it has incredible production design and costume as well, and that's definitely right here. Like they they get the look of the original film of the of the animated film almost perfectly, and it looks great. And also, the cinematography is also really good. But something that was my biggest concern about this film and just about adapting Beauty and the Beast to live action was all the household items and especially the Beast of like how that would look in CGI. And I thought it was probably going to look like crap, but I, to my surprise, it looked really good and blended almost seamlessly with the live action aspects of this film. It, it really took me by surprise. It looked incredible. And I also love how they got the voice actors or like the mocap performers of all of the people playing like the household items. They would like, especially with the beast as well, you can quite clearly see that that's the eyes and the, like the face of Dan Stevens just covered up with like a lot of hair and with like um, teeth and like the beast face, obviously. And also, um, I think like, I'm just like, it was distracting me for the whole time while I was watching this, but I'm pretty sure Mrs. Potts, who in this version is uh, voiced by Emma Thompson, her, the eyes looked a lot like Emma Thompson's eyes as well, which was a little bit distracting, but like it worked really well. And I thought it was a really clever thing to do as well. So that was really great. And a lot of the acting's really good. As I said, Dan Stevens is very good as the Beast. All of the voice actors of the household items, like Ewan McGregor as Lumiere and Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, the back and forth between those two was really, really awesome. Emma Watson as Belle was good. She was good. They didn't really stand out, but like she was, she was fine, serviceable in the role. Um, she's a pretty good singer as well. Like, a lot of people are saying that she can't sing. I thought she was fine. I didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, Luke Evans as Gaston was, uh, probably not, not my first choice for Gaston, but he surprised me. He did pretty well. But the standout in this movie for me as well, and someone who I just couldn't have been able to stand in movies prior to this was Josh Gad. And I really liked him in this movie. Like, he was probably my favorite character. As for the bad stuff, like, it's just unnecessary. That's really all I can say, and it's a lot longer than the other than the original animated film. They do add a lot. Like as I've said, I can't, I haven't seen the animated one in years, so like I couldn't tell you the differences. But there obviously is a lot of differences because this movie is over two hours long. I think it's 129 minutes, whereas the original animated film was something like 86 or 87 minutes or something like that. So there is a lot being added to this. And also, and like it can, it shows because this movie is pretty boring at a, at a few stages. I was starting to drift off a little bit in some parts, but apart from that, like this movie is a very, very harmless remake, but I don't think it's going to be very memorable. I mean, it's got a massive budget, huge cast, but, and, but apart from that, like in a couple of years time, I think everyone's just going to watch the original and this probably like, it probably won't age very well. Like I think... Even watching like and all those movies in the Disney Renaissance, like Little Mermaid and um, Aladdin and Lion King, like those are like the four that people always mention. Like they still look amazing today. Like their animation, like they're timeless. They're timeless movies. This movie, I don't know if it's going to be timeless because I mean, obviously the C- like as good as the CGI is, um, it's probably going to be dated at some point. And like it's, I think a lot of people they're saying I haven't heard one person yet say they prefer this version over the original, but look, I've, 
I was very middle of the road with this. I didn't hate it. I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was fine. Like if you're a big Disney fan, go see it. Like you, well, you've probably already seen it by now. It's been out for about three weeks by now, but, and I'm, and if you enjoyed it, that's awesome. Like I can just say that like, it's not for me, but like other live action, like Beauty and the Beast was never really my favorite of the, in the Disney pantheon of all their animated classics, but I'm looking forward to do it. See what they do next, because um, they always do like really, they, whatever movie they do, it's never it's never terrible. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what they do next. But Beauty and the Beast, like, uh, make up your own mind about it. Like, it's just a very okay film. Probably don't rush out to see it in the cinema because well, it's already made it. It's already probably tripled its money at this point. But like, yeah, definitely, it, it'll probably crush in DVD sales anyway. So maybe just rent it there, or when it comes, or if it comes out on Netflix, definitely watch it there. Okay, next film is Power Rangers. Now I had zero interest in seeing this movie. Like, even though when I was younger, I did watch a lot of Power Rangers. I did have a Red Ranger like costume when I was like five or six, and always ran around in that. That was really cool, and used to watch the or cheesily hilarious television show that was Power Rangers, and I loved, I, I wasn't a huge fan, but, like, I really, it was one of, like, it must have been hundreds of shows that I watched as a kid that I really enjoyed, but, yeah, I really didn't have any interest in seeing this, but, like, there, it was, like, this is the movie that I saw just this morning, and, uh, so, then there was seven, I, and today at the local cinema where I'm next, where I'm basically living next to, I have $7 tickets on Tuesdays, so I went this morning, and... I was really surprised that this movie isn't completely shit. Like, this movie is actually pretty entertaining, i got to say. The reason why this movie is, isn't terrible and why it works pretty well is because of the chemistry of the five actors playing the Power Rangers, and they are all terrific in this movie. For basically no names, they are really, really, really good in this movie. Both their individual performances and how they all play off each other was really, really great to watch. But the standout is definitely RJ Siler, who plays the Blue Ranger, who, who you might have seen as Earl in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And he is terrific in this movie. I love, like, he, he lit up the screen every time he was on it and stole every scene he was in. And his character also has Asperger's as well. And as me, someone who also has Asperger's as well, like to see that on screen in like kind of a non, like Sheldon Cooper-esque way was actually really, really entertaining to see. And he did a really good job that wasn't like derogatory of people with autism or on the spectrum as well. So I really, I was really, really happy about that. And he was awesome in the movie. And I was also really getting invested in, like, their origin story. Like, it was real, like, to see them train and all that kind of stuff, that was really cool to see. I was getting a little bit nervous at the start, though. I thought this might have gone along the, the long, like, because all the trailers looked like basically a mix of Fant Stick meets um, Chronicle meets uh, Transformers, and it looked terrible. And a lot of the, especially, like, very early on in the movie, I thought it might have been going that way. Because within the first five minutes, there's a joke about them jerking off a bull. And I thought, oh, we're getting into this bloody crap Michael Bay humour. But luckily, that's the end of it, though. Like, that was a big relief. A massive sigh of relief there. And it's actually, there's quite a few, like, really funny moments in this as well, which I was, again, really surprised by. But, as I said, it's definitely not perfect. I mean, look, I wasn't expecting much out of Power Rangers, but i got to mention some of these things because, well, they need to be mentioned. First off, the CGI in this movie isn't great. Like, 
I mean, the mo- I think I don't know if it's uh, intentional because of um, like to reflect how cheap the show, the original show, was made, and like trying to reflect the campiness of that show as well. But then that's like clashing with this kind of not serious, but kind of like teen movie tone that they've kind of gone for in this. Oh yeah, it's not dark and gritty. It's definitely a, a bit darker than what Power Rangers usually are. But like that tone, like that kind of um, cheesy CGI, uh, and like if they were going for that kind of like at that tone of like the original show, did it didn't quite mesh well. And that also with the uh, incredibly overacting uh, Elizabeth Banks's Rita Repulsa, that really didn't help either. And she she just looks like she's having the time of her life on this set as well. Like she is just macking on the scenery at, at, in this movie, and it's really really entertaining to watch. But as I said, it just doesn't really mesh with what's going on. Like the kind of semi serious tone of the movie that they're going for, mixed with this crazy villain making a giant out of gold that's going to destroy the town. Also, the soundtrack in this movie is pretty terrible. Just a bunch of random pop songs that are just played with it. Like, it's almost as bad as... Like, it's not quite on the level of Suicide Squad, but at least in Suicide Squad, though, even though it didn't mesh at all with what was going on, it's kind of the reverse of that, because the the pop songs kind of did... Like, because it's a teen movie, like, I can understand why they put pop songs on there, but the pop... But at least within Suicide Squad, those songs were good. They were just played in the wrong moments that didn't mesh with what was going on at screen at all. These songs meshed, but the songs were fucking terrible. <laughs> So it's, it was the opposite of that, and it was a bit annoying having to hear that. And also in this movie, like, there is some very shameless product placement. Um, slight spoilers, I wouldn't necessarily call it a spoiler, but the whole idea is um, Rita Repulsa is looking for this crystal, and basically if you remove this crystal from the planet, basically she can destroy the Earth or whatever. Like, it will destroy the Earth if you take this. And Rita Repulsa wants to do this, and this crystal is located underneath a Krispy Kreme, the town, the Krispy Kreme donut in the local town. And yeah, especially during the final battle, they're like, "Oh, we got to protect the Krispy Kreme." And they say they say Krispy Kreme about uh, twenty minutes in the last in the last act in the final in the final throwdown in this tiny little town where they all get into the Zords and uh, try to fight Goldar or whatever his name is. And yeah, it's very it's it's on Man of Steel levels of product placement, and it's. It's very, very cringeworthy. But as I said, like, I was really surprised with how much I enjoyed this film. Like, it's not, a, it's not a great film. It's not a great film. It's a very, like, this is a plain movie. This is the definition of a plain movie. But I guess because you're going for kids, like, it's, it, there was surprisingly, like, I was surprised, like, this movie was only rated M, but, like, I was surprised when, like, there were moments where people were getting hit and then blood was coming out. Like, they were bleeding. I'm like, jeez. I'm like... They were still able to get away with that, and it was... But I look at this movie, because this is a kid's movie, essentially, even though, like, it's slightly a bit grittier than, yeah, as I said, the campy nature of the original TV show. But I I think of it this way, like, if I was a 10-year-old kid, would I think this is the most, this is the coolest thing they ever made? Probably. Like, when I was 10 years old, I thought Transformers were, like, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen was, like, the best thing ever made. And boy, was I a fucking dumb kid thinking that. Uh, But, yeah, Power Rangers... A three-word summary, surprisingly not shit. It's, yeah, def- if you're, as, yeah, as I said, if you're a f- pa- fan of Power Rangers, you'll love this. You will absolutely love this. But as, uh, but it definitely, if you go in having no expectations of this movie, like me, you'll kind of like it. And, yeah, Power Rangers, so far, is the biggest surprise of 2017. All right, that was my review for Power Rangers. Now, let's move on to the Lego Batman movie. Wow, I loved this movie. 
Like, the fir- the very first Lego movie that was made in 2014, directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, like, that was the most surprising movie I have ever seen. Like, it just co- took me off guard. Like, the, how, how a movie can be just so fun, so, like, baffling and so weird and so awesome, and yet be, like, when you get boiled down to it, is just an ad for some toys. Like, it amazed me. And when I found out that my favorite character in that movie, uh, Will, Ar- Will Arnett's Lego Batman, was going to get his own movie, I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then, especially when all of the DC, like the live action DC properties kind of just were complete failures, and knowing the meta humor of the Lego movie, and seeing that a lot of the guys that worked on this movie had worked on Robot Chicken, I got excited. Because they are just going to rip into... They they are just going to tear the DC Cinematic Universe to complete shreds. And this movie is just all balls-to-the-wall fun and crazy. And I loved it. I did have a very weird cinema experience watching this, though. I saw this at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning on, it, on like, the first weekend that it opened here in Australia. Like, and it only just came, if I have any international listeners, and I've, I've looked at the stats, I know I have a couple, um, here in Australia, uh, we only just got this movie, uh, two weeks ago, because, um, everywhere else it was released, like, early February, uh, it's for school, because, um, it's currently school holidays here in Australia at the moment, and, um, they've, they've released it for school holidays, so that more, more kids can go to it, obviously. So, like, I, I understand that, like, it's a bit frustrating, because we get it much, much later, but, like, obviously, uh, I can understand why they did that. But anyway, so I went really early on a Saturday morning, and so Chock, Chock is full of kids. Like, kids all over the cinema. Probably, I was probably the only person there that did, wasn't with their parent. And um, what I found really weird was this movie, and, well, especially because I sat right in the front row, and they were all sitting towards the back. And the amount of times where um, I was the only person laughing at some of the jokes in the cinema was very, very, very weird. A lot of the jokes in this movie are just going to go straight over the kids' heads because they are so meta and so self-referential. And that is really my kind of humour. Like, as I said, love the Lego movie. One of my favourite shows is of all time is Community, which is just chock full of meta humour. And this movie is full of it as well. Like, there's a scene early on in the movie. Like, this movie takes a couple of stabs at the, the terrible Suicide Squad movie. If you want to hear my thoughts about that, go back to episode three where I discuss the worst movies of, of last year. But, so there's a scene where, like, uh, the Joker is getting all the villains to, like, they, they get all the villains together to basically bomb Gotham. This is, like, in the start of the film. And um, they all plant a bomb. And then you can see Killer Croc, he plants a bomb. And he's like, I did something! <laughs> And that had me, like, howling. I couldn't contra- contain myself when I heard that. It was so, so funny. And as I said, yeah, nothing. Nothing from anybody else in the audience. Not even from the parents, which I thought some of the parents would have started laughing, but I was just bawling. It was amazing. But then, in amongst all the craziness and meta-humor, there is quite, like, like central to the character of Batman. Like, he, it really hones in on, like, his need of, like and of his fear of, like, being with a family, and that's something that the movie does surprisingly really, really well. Like, that, like, and also the voice cast in this movie, just brilliant. Like, Will Arnett as Batman, like, he's, he's so good. Like, sometimes, it's, it's a bit weird because I picture Bojack Horseman a couple of times, like, saying some of the lines he says in that movie, but, yeah, it was good. Also, Michael Serra as well as Robin, he's, he's just delightful. Uh, Ray Fiennes is a good choice as Alfred. 
But my favorite one in this whole thing is I'm a big Doug Loves Movies fan. And on his show, Doug Benson does a, his Bane impression to like start or like to start his game section because he says the let the games begin line from the Dark Knight Rises in a Bane voice. And this is like the ultimate inside joke because Doug Benson is the voice of Bane in this movie. And it is just for like it is a great such a great in joke for podcast nerds like myself that that's in there. And it was awesome. I loved it. And just like the Lego movie, like massive shout out to Animal Logic because they have just made an incredibly animated film. Like all of this is like just like the Lego movie, all of it is CGI. There is no, but it's CGI like with a lower frame rate to make it look like stop motion. And it just looks awesome. I loved it so much. It's really, really good. Like, guys, I highly recommend this movie. Definitely. If, if you're a huge comic book fan, if you're a huge fan of just meta humor or animation or just of anything, if you have kids, kids will love it for because it's Batman and because it's Lego and it's awesome. But, like, people like my age and huge movie nerds are going to love it for all of the referencing and just how well this movie is made. Like, definitely see it. I love this movie. I hope you do, too. Okay, that was my review for the Lego Batman movie. And now I'm going to move on to Ghost in the Shell, which, if you're not aware, is a remake of a 1995 anime film which was based off of a hugely successful manga series from Japan. And I've seen the original film, and it's incredible. But it's one of those movies, I've seen it three times, and I saw it in preparation for the remake. And it's one of those films where, even after watching it, like... I still couldn't understand what the hell was going on. I still had to look at the at the wiki plot summary to uh, to fully understand everything that happened in that film. But its complexity is what made it great, and it's amazing. And one of the most influential films of all time as well. Like the Wachowskis have said that the Ghost in the Shell was what it inspired them to to make the Matrix, and it's and it's also evident in a lot of other science fiction films and like all like with that kind of cyberpunk feel to it, and. I was actually really, really excited for this movie, and I gotta say, I was really, real like, this movie is getting a lot of undeserved hate because of the whitewashing. Look, Hollywood whitewashing, it is a problem, and systemic racism in general is a problem as well, but Scarlett Johansson, yes, technically, the, the major is a Japanese character, but she's a robot, something that is without race and in itself a race of its own, and I don't understand, like, they're getting in arms, like, fair enough if she gets cast, as Scarlett Johansson got cast as Mulan or something, sure, they get your pinchforks and flames out then, but for, this is really the most, the biggest political issue at the moment, I mean, it's really, it's really kind of frustrating, Especially things when um, when the first picture of Scarlett Johansson as the major was released, and they went around to like in the Shibuya, in the Shibuya district in Tokyo, showing Japanese people what Scarlett showing the picture, and they all said, "Yeah, she looks awesome. She'll be awesome. She's going to be great." And then one of the, and a lot of them were saying, "Yeah, she'll be good." Like, and then they asked, "What would you have preferred to see a Japanese actress as the role?" Like. And one of them particularly said that people in anime, and especially like manga and all that, they don't really look Japanese. So if you were to cast Japanese actors in that, they thought, he said that it would just look strange. And look, despite all that, this is actually quite a really, a really, really entertaining, really intriguing, beautiful looking film that is a very, very faithful adaptation of the original. Obviously, we've got to get into it. Like the futuristic, the, the look of this movie is just, um, it, 
it's mouth-watering. It looks incredible. Like, it's the... It's like if you got Total Recall and The Fifth Element and then Blade Runner and then put them all together, you've got... That's the look of this film. And the CGI in this movie is just brilliant. I mean, and it blends all... Like, from the trailer, I was like, this could either be... This looks... This could be just awesome or it could just look like Ultraviolet, that shitty uh, Mila Jovovich movie. But no, I thought it blended seamlessly and it was really, really looked amazing. And something that remakes rarely do, when something that a good remake would do, is it actually improves on a few things that of uh, that the original one did. Like as much as as good as Kenji Kawai's score for the original film is and how eerie and much how much it sets the tone, this the soundtrack for this movie, especially not necessarily the soundtrack, but the score of this movie, it has a kind of like electronic like yeah that electronic punk kind of feel to it which just sounds awesome and really really meshes with the world that they've created and this is really what the music of this kind of environment that's what it would be like and it was it was really good and it was really really surprising as well like how good the music was my only real complaint with it and um it's it depends on how smart you think you are with this um my only complaint is with this film like it's I wouldn't say dumbed down, but it's a lot simpler to follow than the original one. And a lot of people are coming are saying that it because of that, it loses a lot of the complexity, which made the original great. I, I can see where they're coming from with that. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. But also, like, as I said earlier, the first one is very, very difficult to follow. And even though this one has a... Uh, it's a lot easier to follow. Like, it does lose that complexity that, that the original had and what was made it so great. And also, the villain of this movie is uh, different to what it was in the original anime. Like, the puppet master is nowhere to be seen in this movie. His um, a replacement, Kuze, who's played by Michael Pitt, uh, or Michael Carmen Pitt, as it was in the credits for some weird reason. Must be trying to change his image or something. Um, his character, like, it surprisingly had a fair bit of depth to him and was a pretty like a pretty developed villain like and he has you can easily not really necessarily sympathize with him but you can see where he's coming from and why he wants to do this and as for you kind of got that with the puppet master but it was a lot more ambiguous though and uh, as i said like the first one's very hard to follow but is an absolutely brilliant film this one it's not better but it's on just below par with the first one like i really think this is a really really good remake guys like uh, with this like it, this is definitely a better remake. Out of the ones I've talked about in this one, this is definitely the, a better remake than Beauty and the Beast, I think, because I think this perfectly blends, like, it adds a lot of new different things to make it feel different, but it's still a very faithful adaptation with the ideas and with how the movie's shot and how everything looks. And also, like, there are a couple of, like, frame-by-frame, frame, like, sequences, and, like, some of my favourite sequences from the anime, like, one where the where um, uh, the major chases down that, uh, like, this crook who's in the, like, it's on the, like, a sh very shallow water, and she just beats the crap out of him. That's my favourite scene from the anime, and it's in it's in the movie as well, and it it looks perfect. Like, it is straight from, from it's ripped straight from the anime and put into the live action, which sometimes can be a bad thing, but it works really well. Um, and I really like this movie. I've got a feeling that if you like Ghost, the Ghost in the Shell anime, you're really going to like this movie. I really recommend it. Look, just if you're hesitant about... If you can just forget about this whole whitewashing controversy and if that's the reason why you're not seeing it... Look, I can see where you're coming from, but you're really missing out. And I'm really, really annoyed that this movie bombed. 
Like it real like I mean it had a huge budget. Like it looked like it could have been a bomb even without all of this crap going on. But I really, really enjoyed it. I really I genuinely think it's a great remake and it actually improves upon a few things of the original. And uh, go see it if you if you're a big anime fan. You've probably already seen this and you probably loved it. So Ghost in the Shell, I really enjoyed it. Okay, that was my review for Ghost in the Shell, and that is the end of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I will, as I said at the top of the show, I will be having another episode this week uh, with Eric Tischer. I'm going back. I'm going back home to record an episode with him. That should be good. Going to catch up on a lot of the movies, and I think we're going to be talk because I was going to talk about doing like an Oscars reaction. Well, not really a reaction, but more of like the, what I thought of the Oscars, and um, I was going to do that for this episode, but um, I think it's better to do that to discuss with someone else, and even though it's almost two months too late, um, it's sh- it should still be fun, though, and just like kind of refresh your memory of who won and all that, so that should be fun. Also, um, plugs, uh, I am on a couple of radio shows here on at, at uni, so... I am on, on Mondays, I am on Lockie Beasley's show Movie Fury on Swinburne Student Radio 3SSR. Uh, that is on at Mondays at 12pm to 1pm. And I will also occasionally be on the 3SSR's movie show hosted by Ricky Needs. I am a, a regular co-host on there and I will, be on ne- I will be on that next on, I think, the 1st of May, I'm pretty sure. Talking about, when, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, that's going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to be on at three. That that show is on at three till four p.m. on on Swinburne Student Radio three SSR. Head to three uh, SSR.org/radio or something like that, and uh, hit the listen live button at those times to listen in. That would be awesome. You can also follow another bloody movie podcast on SoundCloud, and then also subscribe to us on iTunes where you can like us, rate us, and give us a really good five star review. I would love that. That would be awesome. We ha- also like like our Facebook page, which is Another Bloody Movie Podcast. You can follow our Instagram page at Another Bloody Movie Pod. You can also follow my Instagram page, which is uh, at SeanHub underscore, which is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, again, thanks for sticking by this. Like, I know it's been a while since I've done one, but it's really fun. I really want to get back into it again. I really want to start doing weekly shows and at least ch- have this show have some kind of consistency to it and some kind of structure. But um, I- I'm hoping to get that done and uh, and keep the podcast going because um, I'm really enjoying doing this, um, even though like I've had no time to do it, but I want to make time to do this. So um, thanks again for listening, guys. Thanks for sticking with this podcast. And I'll see you later.